0: Yeah. Alright, well I just want to tell you, um, <clears throat> it's interesting that we're doing lessons on prayer because um, God. this is an area that God has been stirring in me for a while now, and um, really for about the last year. <clears throat> I think it's just, I would not have considered myself a person who is good at praying or, like, has a gift for, I don't even know, like, intercessory or what Like, I just didn't feel like I was in that group, ever. I mean, I still don't. But I thought there was a group, and I was outside of the group of prayers. And just like since last March, God just started stirring in me. And, like, I can't shake it. It's still going on. Like, it's crazy. I feel like now it's been a whole year. And God won't let me go on it. And I just feel like there's just a need for more. There's so much more. Um, just more that God has to give us. And stirring in me that prayer can be so much better than what it is. And so much more powerful. So much more life-changing. That we're just settling for probably barely mediocre. Um at the same time, though, I feel like in the year of where God is, like, calling me to pray more, I feel like I've even struggled more to pray. Like, the more I want it, the more obstacles have come up in it. Um, I've read tons of books about prayer, like, trying to figure it out, like, hoping that the prayers, like, wrote some instructions on how to do it. And so I feel like I'm supposed to, and struggling to. Um, so, really, all I want to do today is just... Share with you what God has taught me in the last year. So, I um, thought, <laughs> like, maybe you all know this already. I don't know. I don't know. Are you feel like you're in the prayer group or not? But um, I suspect that we all wish there was more and wish we connected more um, to God through prayer. So, first, I just thought I would tell you kind of where I come from. What's my prayer background? Um, I grew up Catholic and went to Catholic school through eighth grade. So just in that, that kind of just, that started my understanding of prayer, which was memorized prayers. I, I know a lot of them, and I can write them off. Um, also, liturgy was part of my upbringing. So those long prayers in a mass that they're written for you, you recite them together, really beautiful, but kind of over my head, you know, my childhood, and just as I was thinking about it, like immediately hit me. I've never really thought this before, but maybe deep within me, I do think this, that prayer is penance. That for those of you of Catholic background, where you go to confession, and my mind growing up was, and then for your sin, your payment was, you say Prayers. Right? And that you have to, like, go say three Hail Marys, and then you'll be all set. So I think that's kind of in my background, too, which, I mean, I don't know if, like, good Catholics would say that was true, but somewhere I picked that up along the way, that prayer was in response to your sins. So that was my first part. Then it gets interesting, because I got saved when I was in junior high. My family started getting saved um, at that time, and we became part of, I don't even know, Like a Pentecostal, charismatic Catholic group that was evangelistic, right? Like you couldn't be (laughs) more it seems. And so the prayer in that group was loud and long and kind of crazy, really powerful. Like I saw all kinds of awesome things. Um, But I was a teenager then, and so I'm sure my perception of it was funny that my first description was long like prayer meetings were hours and church was hours because we were praying so long um it was very powerful though like extremely powerful i learned a lot about prayer in that ministry um but so anyhow it kind of leaves me in the middle like i don't know what i think about prayer like you couldn't have more extremes i think um But at the same time, like I could pray in both of those situations, and I could pray in that Pentecostal group, and they really taught me how to pray. But in my personal prayer time, it always has felt really difficult. Um, I've always pursued it and kept trying and trying and trying, but at the same time, it's hard. And maybe that's some of you can relate. Like, it's just hard. I don't know why it's hard, but it's hard. And um, I think I just am really convinced that our. Core beliefs dictate our actions. And so if my actions are struggling, I think I have to go back to what are the beliefs behind it. Because the more you believe something, the more you'll act it out. And so even if I believe that in my head, prayer is good and prayer connects me to God and whatever, if my underlying core is that it's what you do when you get in trouble, like, well, then I got a problem, right? <laughs> like, no wonder I don't want to pray. I also, as I was thinking about it, have, like, the kind of this funny understanding, I think now, of that prayer translates into, or is an indicator of the kind of Christian you are. So what I clearly learned, and I don't think this is wrong at all, but it started crazy beliefs, I think, that the rule for being a good Christian was that you should pray for 30 minutes every morning. That's what Jesus did. He went away in the quiet. And I was taught that 30 minutes a day is what you should do, and that is... That's the bare minimum. That's an adequate Christian. And if you could pray for an hour a day, now we're making progress. Like, you're a pretty good Christian. Um, I also knew in high school lots of people who prayed so much more than that. A friend of ours was in full-time ministry, so he had his own schedule. A friend of my family's. And... I think he said he prayed for four hours a day. Like, that was part of his job. So he, in my mind, was like, that's like the ultimate. If you could pray for four hours a day, like, that's an amazing Christian. Like, God will use people who pray like that. (laughs) Then I also have in my head that, from my Catholic side, saints. I always wanted to be a saint. We read stories of the saints. And those people, they gave up their lives to pray. All they did was pray. So that was like the extreme. And so that is how I had in my mind. Prayer was a direct indicator of what kind of Christian you were. And since the bare minimum was 30 minutes a day in the morning, I failed at that always. I have never gotten that. I have never gotten even 30 minutes a day for probably more than a very short amount of time. So my rule that I understood set me up for failure in prayer. So I really struggled that prayer was an obligation, and I was failing at it. Um, I, somewhere along the line, I realized that that was not right, and I let myself off the hook and realized that that was just legalism, and that's not how it is. But I think there's pieces of that underlying still in me. So anyhow, that's my background, and I've always wanted to pray more, have always pursued prayer more, but have that struggle. This time, though, this past year has been really different for me. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what God's doing, but I can't shake that there's more for us, and God is stirring more prayer in me. Um, But I wonder for you, what's your history in prayer? I think it's really important to look at where we come from and address maybe what are our beliefs about it. That's that's the first hurdle to get over. So for you, this question number two on your guide, what's your history of prayer? Are you in that prayer group? Is it easy for you? I know plenty of people who have said, they just can't go a day without it. They miss it immediately. Like, it's this addicting kind of thing. Once you start, you just can't stop. Apparently, people think that. I call that the prayer group. Are you in that group? I'm not in that group. I could stop at any second, and sometimes it feels like, and I maybe I can hardly notice that it takes effort, and I wonder, are you maybe in that group? So at your table. You know, be honest. We got nowhere to go but up, you know, like let's just grow in it. So I said it first. Prayer's heart, so now you can say it. <laughs> go go ahead. ahead. Okay, so hopefully you've got some of... Uh, some reasons about why you think you pray or what you're hoping for in prayer. These are some of the new things I feel like God has shown me about, so why should we pray? And these are I don't know, new beliefs that God is putting in me. So I'm just, I've taken most things from these. are my favorite books lately. Um, so most everything is from these. Um, this one is Prayer by oh hellsby this is so old it's kind of a riot because some reference it's like 100 years old and so some references are funny but he's a beautiful beautiful writer you know everybody writes now like in tweet form and everything is like i don't even know 30 words or less so you have to be like really creative really fast this guy that was before then. so it's a long beautiful it's just really beautiful writing um, This other one is called Spirit Rising by Jim Simbola, and he is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. So you know the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir; they're actually a church choir, and he's the pastor. This is awesome. He's a wonderful writer too. Um, this like began it for me. I think it's kind of funny because this book. Was, this is a side comment, I guess. Um, I got a postcard in the mail like a year ago. Well, probably like January or something last year okay. when this book was coming out. I was like, send in the postcard and get two free books sent to you. And I'm like, okay. He spelled it out and sent it in. And sure enough, not only did they send me two books, they sent me four of this book just to, like, pass out. So, so I was like, well, I guess I better read it then. <laughs> but it has been a book that is, he just... He speaks so much truth. Spirit rising. I think these are written on the back of your note guide. So, sorry you're trying to write these down. I put them on there, I think. But it's a wonderful book. It really just, he's inspiring. He's got lots of stories. The other one, Patty's mentioned this one before, Philip Yancey's book, Prayer. And don't you think it's funny? This book's called Prayer. This book's called Prayer. The one Patty referenced last week. Guess what that one's called? Prayer. I hope I'll be more creative when I write my book called Prayer. (laughs) Anyhow, these books are really good and most everything I have is taken from these books. Um, So anyhow, so why should we pray? One of them that really jumped out at me is just simply because God is here. I think we have this misunderstanding that our prayer is like pulling God to us. And we even say things like, When we're saying, like giving a story or a testimony of something God did, we even say the words, God showed up. And that is just not quite right. Because the truth is, God's here, and our prayer is connecting with the God who's already here with us. Yancey says, I've learned to see prayer not as my way of establishing God's presence, rather as my way of responding to God's presence. That is, in fact, that is a fact, whether or not I can detect it. He says, my feelings of God's presence or God's absence are not the actual presence or absence. So, where I think sometimes I'm waiting to feel God and then I'll know he's here. And if I don't feel God, I guess God didn't show up this time. And that's not true. That's not how it works. God's presence is here, whether or not I can detect it. And I go to prayer in response. I want to connect with the God whose presence is already here. And sometimes I'll feel it. And sometimes I won't. But that doesn't change the fact that God is always here with us. And why wouldn't I want to connect to that? I can through prayer. Um, so that's just the first one. And I feel like some of these, they feel like, duh, moments after the fact. That every one of these, I feel like, well, I think I knew that. Duh, of course God's here. But there's something about, sometimes it just goes through you different. And so... These are things that went through me different. God's here. So pray. God's here. (laughs) The next one is a partnership with God. Why should we pray? Because God has set it up that we would have partnership with him. And he could have set up the world in lots of different ways. He could have set, Yancey goes through a long description of this, but he could have set the world up to just function fully on its own. But he didn't. Think back to Genesis, where he could have just made it that the land produced food fully on its own. But it didn't. God gave Adam the land to take care of the land so food would come out for him. He gave Adam a role in it. And that throughout time, God has given us a role in it. Um, He even does one reference, like, so God wanted us us to be clean all the time and wanted our hands to always be clean so we wouldn't get sick he could have made them so that they just stay clean but instead he gave us a role in that we take part in washing our hands he gave us responsibility and the, that is just in everything Yancey says God chose a different style of governing the world he didn't choose for things to happen on their own he chose a partnership which relies on human agency and choice he says, consistently God chooses the course of action in which human partners can contribute most. So when I've taken this into my prayer life, the reality that God wants me to interact with it, then it's it just changed kind of how I was praying. That I was then able to look around me and look at the areas of my life, you know, like kind of go and sit with God with Him in that seat and like let's look at the world together I'll give my two cents and you like let's have a conversation about what is going on and really it has allowed me then when I see things that don't make sense where I've got loads of questions about it like let's just take for example the Boston Marathon bomb right That just throws up all these kinds of questions of God, where were you? God, what's going on? This is out of control by another one. It made me do like funny questions too of like I know that was a long race line, you know, like the path was long. And how many people were thanking God for saving them and protecting them and keeping them not at that finish line? And I even I heard somebody say like God's angels protected me that day. Which I don't really doubt, you know, but it throws up this question, but what about the people at the finish line? You know, like it stirs up questions, right? Like things don't look right. The world doesn't look right. It's not fair. And because God has set it up that we can have a partnership with him, that he allows us to come up and say, God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem fair with you are doing? But like, where were you? And that allows us to ask those questions and say, God, if you're a good God, I want you to do something here. And he is welcoming that conversation by making us a partner in how history unfolds. I mean, obviously, he's still in control. And, you know, it's like a kid with their parent, right? Even Jada says to me this morning, she's my three-year-old, you're not the leader of me. I'm like, well actually I am you know like that's kind of what we want about us thinking is that just kind of like our relationship with God our partnership is not us going to God saying you're not the leader of me like clearly he's still the leader of the world (laughs) but he allows us to come up next to him and share our take on it look at the world with him and get his vision of the world and that just opens up prayer for me like there's so much more to talk about with the Lord, and he wants to hear about it. So uh, that's my thought, my thoughts and Ian's thoughts on partnership with God. Um, I feel like, do you want to stop and talk? I know I don't have a question. Um, let's just do one more, and then um, the next one I have is... Yancey says just so perfectly, really just along the same lines, evidently God likes to be asked. He just likes it. He set it up that way. He didn't have to set it up that way. He knows he's smarter than us. Why he asked for our opinion, like that's a mystery. But evidently God likes to be asked. Um... I think maybe we think our problems are not that important, or God has better things to do, or really God just knows better. And so we don't really have to participate. But the reality is that God wants a relationship with each of us. That's his end goal, is relationship. So he set it up that we would seek out that relationship. Wait, what's He set it up so that we would seek out that relationship by governing the world through partnership with us. He wants that relationship, so he says, come, come do it with me. Come sit with me. Like, come sit in the pilot seat with me. He's got the control, so he's like, come look. Come do it with me. Um, I want to read you this part. Hold on, let me find it. Um, what Yancey says about it. He says, I go I go to God with my concerns, though, as a child goes to a loving father. I admit my dependence and make known my requests, fully aware that God and not I will make the final decision. In the time I spend with God, I may come away with a different view of the world, or at least a new appreciation of my limited point of view. In exchange, God gets my attention, my engagement, and my soul. And that, I think, is ultimately what God is after. He knows that if... By welcoming us into the conversation, he gets the relationship he wants. He gets my attention, my engagement, and my soul. Um, Along those lines, too, if you look in your Bible in Revelation, chapter 3, if you have a Bible out, I'm realizing it took me a long time to get to a Bible passage, but books are good, too. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You've probably heard this one. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and he will be with me. And This just really speaks to the fact that God wants the relationship with us. He doesn't just it's not I'll come in and take over. He says I'll come in and be with you. I'm going to eat with you. We'll be friends. We'll have relationship. And so that's that's the that's our prayer. We open the door. He's standing at the door knocking waiting for us to open the door and prayers us opening the door to allow him in and be with us and to share what's on our hearts. So okay, so of those 3 things we just said oh I lost the page what were they (laughs) why should we pray because God is here because God has set up the world that we would be in partnership with him and evidently God likes to be asked that's why he invites us into prayer so (coughs) excuse me so of those three any of those like click with you. Any of those go like, oh, never really think of it that way. Any of these motivate you to pray more? Like, yeah, I can get on board with that one. That's motivating to me. Just share what you think about those three. Okay? Mm -hmm. This next one is the one that, like, I don't know. This is, I feel like, the one that has changed my life. So, um, I got a lot more to say about this one. <laughs> the main, the sorry, this thing felt loud, also. The main thing about prayer um, that just really was a duh aha kind of moment to me was why do I pray? Because I need the Holy Spirit in my life, and just plain and simple, I need the Holy Spirit turn to Ephesians chapter 6 no, chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 when it comes down to it and I think maybe what started all of this prayer season for me was a hunger for more of the Lord and um in chapter, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but this, instead be filled with the Spirit. And I think at the core, this is just my deep, deep desire, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live a life that is a Spirit-filled life. And... Um, Ephesians 6.18 probably your same page it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And that, I think I was the more that I thought about, the more I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be known as someone with a Spirit-filled life. I want the fruit of the Spirit to just be pouring out of me. I also want to pray in the Spirit. And to have the spirit do that praying within me. <clears throat> so that's that's the core of it. And flip now to Ephesians chapter two verse thirteen. Verse thirteen says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This This is what Jesus did. This is part of why he died on the cross, right to be to bring us into that partnership with him. And it reminds me of when the curtain was torn, when Jesus died and the curtain was torn. That's Mark chapter 15. If you want to just flip First, we go and I'll read it to you. Mark 15. Mm -hmm. Mark chapter 15, verse 38. This is right as Jesus is dying. Um, Verse 37 says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And 38, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the temple curtain, that was, that curtain blocked the Holy of Holies. You know, the temple was set up in like stages that you could come into. So there were the outer courts and then there was an inner part. The most center part was the Holy of Holies. And that's where the mercy seat is. And there's just... Something in me about the mercy seat that we would call out to God for mercy. And he's sitting here on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. There's the big curtain blocking and nobody went into the Holy of Holies. Only once a year it was a high priest could go in once. Nobody else could go in. Then Jesus' death rips that curtain down. And we're given access into the Holy of Holies. This, like, this is it. This is what Jesus bought for us, was access into the Holy of Holies. And prayer is how we enter the Holy of Holies. Symbolist says that prayer links us to the promises and powers of the Almighty God. So, now, I just want to share, I I maintain long-distance relationships with a lot of friends. I've shared this with you guys before, where I went through a nice chunk of time there where everybody I knew and loved dearly moved far, far away. And some, some of my dearest friends are all over the country, and they're not within driving distance. You know, like, they're in Phoenix, they're in Spain, they're in, um, they're just all over. And... We don't get to talk much because of life. That these friends are people that we I had babies with at the same time. So we had our little babies together, now they've moved away, and now those kids are just getting louder and louder and we don't get to talk as much. And and because they're far away, we have to rely on like Facebook blurbs of what's going on. We need to rely on text messages, interrupted phone calls. But the reality is we still need one-on-one times to make these relationships work. And um, just recently, um, the friend of mine who's in Phoenix came to visit, and I haven't seen her in almost two years. But those one-on-one times, like, that's when the deep stuff happens, right? That we've been little, tiny messages for a year and a half. And I, I knew things were not great for her, but, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't until she got here and we look each other in the eyes that she can cry about how hard her year has been and we can be honest about what's really going on and to have that longer time. And if we lived close together, we would see each other all the time and have deep conversations all the time. But the reality is is we don't. And I can't see these girlfriends all the time. But just as I said before, the reality is... but. It's just like God, and God's right here. But I wonder how much we treat him like he's a long-distance relationship. And it's true, life interrupts our relationship with God, and we have to rely on little prayer blurbs to get by. But we, we need the heart-to-heart conversations with God. I was saying we need to make date night with the Holy Spirit. 'Cause otherwise the text messages and the Christmas cards that like that's just not enough. And ultimately we are if we do that with God enough, just these little prayers, these little short blurbs out to him, it can connect us for a while, but if we don't come in and have that heart to heart, if we don't come into the Holy of Holies, come into that place where we can look God in the eye, then we're ultimately just doing life on our own. I feel mean, like we're settling. For just those throw-to-the-sky Twitter prayers. And the reality is, is that we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And what gets me is that that's what he died for. Was to bring us into that place where we could have that deep, look me in the eye, tell me your heart fall apart if you have to, kind of prayer. That's what Jesus bought for us. That's why the curtain was torn, so we could come into that holy place. And, as says, the, angel mu- the angels must weep when they see our disinterest in prayer. Do we realize we're forfeiting the help and strength promised by a faithful God to those who will simply take time to ask? And it just convicts me I've been given access to the ear of the almighty God I've been given access to the mercy seat I've been allowed to walk through myself and I choose to opt out how foolish how foolish am I to not want to go in there and to think I can do it better on my own or these itty bitty prayers that I throw up during the day are enough. God, God gave us more. That He knew that wasn't enough too. He, that's why He died. He knew there's more. And I, for me, at least, this has been this convicting thing of how dare I not take advantage. I feel like that it even really moved in me of as believers too. We like did walk in. We walked in when we accepted salvation and we walked in into the mercy seat and asked God for his mercy and forgiveness on us. And then we walked out. Like, why why don't I stay there? Why don't I make this my regular place? There's so much more for me here. I got to go in. He's inviting me and in. he's standing at the door knocking. We must go in. So, what does that do for you? Let's just talk about that one. I don't even know. I don't have a really trip question because I just used it before. So, just talk about this. Does this may, is this your tendency to have a long-distance relationship with God when the reality is, is that you need a road trip to get face-to-face with Him? Do you need this time with the Holy Spirit? Um, that's what He wants for us. So, let's just talk about that. Go ahead. Okay, so the question, why don't we pray? Patty touched on this a bit last week. She she touched on busyness as a reason that we don't pray. And then also the need to keep things from God in order to impress Him, or what we think we need to impress Him or something. Trying to be strong. For God and those, I could just completely relate to, and I know that you probably there's other reasons too for not praying. Um, the one that is, I obviously is just the the instigator of these and a million reasons is that the enemy is waging war against our prayer life. That's just the bottom line. So much of the time is that. God wants a relationship with us. That's how we set up the world, that we would have this relationship. That's why he died, so that we could come into the most intimate place with him and have that relationship. Prayer is how we do that. You can't have a relationship without conversation. Prayer is obviously that conversation with God. And so, and just as Patty talked about that, prayer is where we... Where we get intimacy and love, the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that is through prayer. So it just makes sense that Satan wants to get in the way of that. Because if we're not connected to God, he's winning, right? Um, In this this book, Prayer... since they're all called prayer. and that prayer, um, he says, if prayer is, as we have seen, the central function of the new life of faith, the very heartbeat of our life in God, it is obvious that our prayer life must become the target against which Satan directs his best and most numerous darts. Um, Let me read you this part. It's so good. Okay. I feel like in this book, he says, like, how does he know? Like, that everything I read, I go like, boy, you nailed it. Exactly. Like, he's just, he nails it every time. Um, Okay. So what he says, see if this sounds familiar to your life. Um, uh, Okay, let's see. He says, on the contrary, the protest of the carnal mind, which is our fleshly nature, our human nature, the protest of our human nature against prayer is made indirectly, very cleverly, and at the opportune time. Instinctively and automatically, it will mobilize all the reasons it can conceive of for not praying now. You are too busy. Your mind is too preoccupied. Your heart is not inclined toward prayer. Later on, you'll have more time. Your mind will be more calm and collected. You will be able to pray in a more devotional frame of mind. Finally, you decide to pray. But all of a sudden, the thought comes, I must do this thing first. When I finish this, I shall be ready for a good season of prayer. Then you do the thing you have in mind, and when you have done it, your mind has become distracted. One thing after another begins to clamor for your attention, and before you know it, the whole day is gone, and you have not had a single quiet hour with God. Thus, our carnal nature aligns itself against prayer day in and day out, and the man or woman of prayer who is not mindful of this cannot avoid becoming a victim of the stealthy tempter says, when those hours of the day come in which we should be having our prayer sessions with God, it often appears as though everything is entered into a conspiracy to prevent it. Human beings, animals, and above all, the telephone. Sure. Which, this was written in the 1950s when he wrote that. He had no idea the power of the telephone, right? No idea. (laughs) But isn't that true? Like, it just, everything is a conspiracy against us to stop us. And James, James 4, 7, he says, I can resist the devil and he will flee. That's, we don't have to play his games. To know that he wants to get in our way, of course, everything will happen. at that one moment that you have planned, we don't have to go along with it. I think we've heard plenty of wrestling in prayer and that prayer, that working to continue praying. But this is even more so wrestling just to get to prayer. And to know that we have to wrestle to pray. And that God will meet us there. And for me, that was just like, of course. I don't want to let him win. I will press on. I will get to that prayer spot where the Lord will meet me there. Um. Okay, so for you, let's look at question five. When you wrestle to pray, how do you resist the devil's tactics that get in your way? I just wondered, do you have any tips that you could share with the women at your table? You're all nodding your head, like you're very aware that this happens to you. Do you have any tips that you could share with each other? This is a place, I think, where community of believers, like, let's help each other out. What do you do to help overcome Satan's tactics against you in prayer? So go ahead. Okay, the next thing I want to do is um, this next section how do we pray? Some of this stuff had touched on last week, but it's just so much stuff that's been, God's been speaking to me, so I'm just going to get my two cents on it too. Um, the. The first one is just how do we pray? We pray honestly. We don't have to hide anything. Um, What I want to look at though about that is Jesus. He prays so honestly in when he's before his death, death in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. um, Which if you did I write it on your sheet? Where that's at? Which one did I tell you? Matthew or Mark? Okay, so go to Matthew. <laughs> I didn't write that down for me. And it turns out it's in like three different places. So go to Matthew then. It starts in verse 36. Oh, oh chapter 26, verse 36. This is the night that Jesus is arrested. So before that, he prays. <clears throat> Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. So, I just want to look at this. This it's just a passage that um, Yancy talks about a bit in his book, and it just really strikes me as this is the model for prayer. And that um, just notice, I guess, like. Jesus is so honest in prayer. In other passages you probably know that it says that he is overwhelmed to like he's like, I don't know, crying tears of blood. Like it's so passionate. I mean, we read it it's probably just how I read it. And he was overwhelmed and full of sorrow. Hmm. But that's probably not what it was, right? Like he's falling to his face on the ground. He's a basket case. So upset. So troubled. And he knows death is coming and obviously frightened by it and that he's honest to the point of saying isn't there another way? Can't you come up with a different plan, God? Do we have to go through with this now? And Philip Yancey talks about that he he's wrestling within prayer. Like he's having a battle within the prayer. And That we can too, and that our tendency would be to to take these words from Jesus of not your will but my will, and we put it at the beginning of our prayers, and we come into like we've got all this turmoil, and we start our prayer with like, Lord, just want just want what you want, your will be done here, and that putting that at the beginning of our prayer can actually silence our prayers, and that that's not how Jesus did it either. That first, to be that raw, emotional, begging, complaining, like, we can be that. Jesus was that. It's all over the Bible. He's passionate, passionate. Oh, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing this? I wish you would do this. Think of all the songs where they're, like, begging God to kill their enemies. You know, like... <coughs> And so it's that honesty, and then we get, we come to that place, after battling in prayer, like Jesus did, I think we really come to that place, then the Spirit ministers to us, and we become resolved to, not my will, but your will. And that comes after our emotional outbursty moments. <laughs> and Yancey points out this to I should where did it go, um, he says, well, he actually quotes somebody else. I'm quoting the quoter. Um, he quotes, I don't know, this guy, Haddon Robinson. His take on this passage of Gethsemane is where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's Hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he is so broken up when all he is doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage, and his three friends fell apart and fell away. So seeing Jesus do the battle within prayer lets him walk out of it calm and peaceful and strong, determined, and that he faces death like unfazed, where the disciples, on the other hand, they're so calm they're falling asleep in prayer. And they don't battle in prayer. They're calm in prayer, but it's almost like you have to battle somewhere. If you're not going to battle in prayer, then you battle in life. And they can't can't cope. And they deny Jesus. They walk away from Jesus. They go into hiding from fear. And maybe it would have been different for them if they would have prayed. That Jesus battles is within prayer. And for me, that just encourages me that I can do the battling within prayer. And then when I face life, I won't be battling life. Um, Yancey also says that not communicating is worse than fighting. And that in a wrestling match, at least both parties stay engaged. And I think this goes to that Jesus, that partnership, as God wants us engaged. And I know for me, that's, I've always felt like when things were really bad, I described it as like I felt like I was holding my breath. Like I couldn't even pray. I couldn't even speak anything to God because I didn't know what were the right words. Like I wanted God's will, but obviously I was a mess. And I always felt like I was just holding my breath, waiting, waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to say something or waiting for him to clarify. And I wasn't doing anything but like frozen, trying to like not break. And I just think... Wouldn't have I have been better off if I would exhaled that breath? Even if it was a scream? It would have been better. And what I've learned is that God can handle that. God can handle it if I fall apart or if I scream in the, in that turmoil. That his allegiance to me is so strong. My disaster is not going to make him run away from me that it actually opens the door to allow him to minister to my need. And that's what he ultimately wants to do. Um, Another way that we pray is helplessly, which is just all along those same lines. Um, But I think it's important to note that we... We are weak in prayer, too. Not just weak in our situations, but we're weak in prayer, and that's that's okay. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And that we should use helplessness... For me, helplessness has been a a way that keeps me away from prayer. Like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do about this. So I just don't say anything. And God wants us to bring that helplessness to Him in prayer. Like, I can't even pray, Lord. I don't know what to say. And when I put that out there, it allows the Spirit of God to come in. And the Word says that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And He helps us in our weak prayer and teaches us to pray. So that has been encouraging to me, too. That to don't feel like just because you can't pray doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. He wants to help us to pray, too. Um, And then the next one I have there is faith. That all over the bible it says we need to pray with faith and i think this can trip us up um because what about our doubts right we're honest we have doubts and um if we don't have them i think satan can stir them up pretty easily for me at least and um, trying to skip around here a bit um So the doubts, they're just, it's just another area of helplessness, right? Doubts don't have to paralyze us. I think maybe we feel like we can't approach God if we have doubts. And really, like, that's just part of the deal, that we can bring our doubts. It's another helpless thing to bring to God, another weak area. And we even see um, Jesus encounters with people where they say, the man says, help my unbelief.'" When we bring it to Jesus, we're actually demonstrating faith. Faith is just looking to Him. We look to Him for our salvation. We can look to Him in prayer too. And that is the reality of our faith. When the doubts make us look away from God, that's where the problem is. If we bring those doubts and look to Jesus, that looking is the action of faith. So... As Halby said, you have more faith than you think you do. If you're looking to Jesus, you have faith, and bring your doubts to God. Um, for me, when I have doubts, just I, just my practice is, I guess, to go back to things that I know I believe for sure, and go back, remind myself of what I believe. And for me, um, lately, the most, the one I go back to a lot is James one seventeen. Um, Because I have those questions, like in the Boston Marathon, where, like, why did God save them and not them? Was he involved in that? Those kinds of questions have been getting to me lately. And I go back to this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, just because my doubt is, how can I be thankful for all my blessings if this other person doesn't have blessings. Does that mean God blessed me and not them? And it spins me into this like crazy questioning thing and I come back to but what I know for sure is that every good and perfect gift is from above so I can thank God for the things that I see as blessing in my life just as I'm sure the other person is doing too. I also go back to what I know for sure is that in Exodus 34 6 God declared his name as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So I come back to, I fix my eyes on what I know for sure, which is, I at least know these for sure. So, try that. You could do that too. The next one I want to do, which I just read this. I have not finished this prayer book. And every I keep reading it and have had to keep putting it down because every time I read something, I want to add it to what we're going to say today. So I've not thought about this much, but it just hit me of like, well, of course. And just want to share it with you too. Um, it talks about quietude. I had never heard this book before. Quietude. And he said, or this has to do with, I think, that we we go too fast into prayer. And we want results and have high expectations of the, what God would do. We want him to, like, act real quick and make that prayer time, like, awesome, immediately. And I think we also come into prayer just in a hurry to get what we need and get out. And, of course, then it leaves us disappointed that we don't sense his presence right away. Or we don't feel better right away. Um, and that we we come into prayer just talking, talking, talking. We're just like, okay, dear Lord. Thank you. Amen. And we're on to the next thing. And then wonder why it, this isn't working. Like, of course, healthy says, don't do that. Take plenty of time. Before you begin to speak, let quietude wield its influence upon you. Let the fact that you are alone assert itself. Give your soul time to get released from the many outward things. Give God time to play the prelude to prayer for the benefit of your distracted soul. I just love that. Give God time to play the prelude to prayer. Just the idea that there's a prelude to prayer—that you're not going to come into it right away—but we, especially even more so now than when he wrote that book, we've got a million things coming at us. To think that we could just shut off our brains immediately—of course not. But that also means that we would have to embrace the prayer is going to take more than ten minutes. Um, so, all right. Oh, okay. Just quickly. What do you think about these? Do, are any of these difficult or hard? What do you think about quietude? That, do you struggle with this? How do you do it? I guess that would be my question. I want If anyone knows the answer. How do you do this? How do you let quietude happen? How do you let... Be like, I've got cartoons in the background of my life right now. How do we let quietude happen so that we could hear God's voice? So maybe if you have ideas, if anyone's good at that, share that at your table. How do, you, how do you allow, how do you open that window to be able to hear God in prayer? Go ahead, real quick, because we got to keep going. I long thought that I was just going to leave it there, and then I just felt like, but how do we talk about how you pray without like the actual logistics of how you pray? That um, maybe you're feeling like, well, that's all nice, but I don't even know where to begin. How do we even, like, like it's so metaphorical like talking about opening the door and the curtain and all these things like but how do how do you pray? So I just I'll just give you my two cents on it and I'm sure that we will all have different approaches on it. But I think the details of prayer are obviously that ideal, that having quiet, being alone, having peaceful time, having like that retreat kind of feeling every day of your life. and I'm saying, that's like getting to have dinner every night alone with my husband. It sounds wonderful. (laughs) It's probably not doable. (laughs) For me, it was just really freeing to be like, that's okay. That doesn't mean that prayer is terrible or your relationship with God is a mess. It just means that we need both. And it's okay that... It's okay. It's crazy. And that sometimes... A lot of the time, for me at least, because I've got young kids, is that praying is with cartoons on in the background. Or praying with kids kind of around me, and I write a sentence in my journal and then talk and then come back. It's like, I carry on five conversations at once, usually. And so prayer for me sometimes is just letting God be one of those five conversations. And talking to my kids that were kind of praying. That's okay sometimes, and for me, permission that that I had that thing. It has to be thirty minutes or nothing. And like the legalism perfection prayer to me, it's like, well, if it can't be that, why bother? And it's okay sometimes, five minutes. It's better than nothing. Um, so that's a, generally how I pray. But the reality is that we do need those times of a long periods of time, right? Just like. I need to have dinner with my husband alone sometimes, and I need to have dinner with my best friends sometimes, and the more the better, right? Just the more the better. The more you can get, the better. And to figure out, for me, knowing that life changes, and so how that plays out changes, and that it's not okay To say, well, I will pray 30 minutes every morning. Well, not when there's little kids in my house, because they're up early. And somewhere along the way, someone told me, give God your best time. And that was really freeing to me, too. Like, find your best time. And knowing that that best time changes throughout the course of life, too. And my best time right now is nap time. In a month, it will be summer vacation. And I'm already thinking, like, Lord, that's the end of nap time. I don't know when that best time is going to happen. But to, like, pursue figuring it out and to try and to keep trying and to find time to be with the Lord so that we can have a spirit-filled life. Just some other things I do is playing worship music. I think that maybe helps the quietude of like changing the topic in my head. I do use a journal too. I was thinking I wish I was going to bring it. just, I mean, I just use a regular notebook, and I because I'm a little bit perfectionist too. When I started doing it, I had to like let myself off the hook too of writing perfect grammar and neatly, and like using complete sentences. That it was okay for it to be really lousy. That is sometimes really hard for me to not want to go back and fix my errors. <laughs> but like God doesn't need it perfect. Like just pray, and that was just something I'd overcome in journaling. But it's so worth it. Another thing is using a prayer list. Um, Do you ever feel overwhelmed by all the things there are to pray for? And um dividing your thing, your requests over a week, that we'd be persistent in praying for the same things that need prayer and to not give up, to divide them over a week or a month the biggest one I think that I have benefited the most from in the last year or so is praying with others I think this is highly overlooked and that we are so, so missing out on what God could be doing because we neglect prayer with others um, that we, I'm starting to. I think we're good at the like wish me luck prayers. Like before we start, let's pray. Wish me luck, God like, we're good at those prayers, or like, have a great day, I'll pray for you, good luck, you know, like, that they're almost the same phrase, and that, really, we need to be praying deeply with each other, and that we are a community to pray together, and like, really work to overcome our fears and insecurities, and to open our mouths and pray with people, that there's so much power there, God just did it that way, and that, Try and be a part of that. I think start a prayer group. We started a prayer group in my home. And, I mean, i it's not anything I ever felt like I could do. But God has been faithfully there. Get a prayer partner. Like, pray with other people. Seek it out. Um, <laughs> there's nothing more motivating to pray than to know that, like, on Tuesday, your best friend's going to call you and say, well, so what did God say to you this week? You're going to want an answer. Like, you might pray more if you knew someone was going to ask you what he said. So, to use that. So, that those are just my tips on how to pray. Um, I think um, we're just about done. So, let's just end it by taking this time to pray together. Um, just encourage you to everybody... Pray. maybe if any of these like, look over this this speaks to you if there's something that you feel like the Holy Spirit's nudging you on or wanting to change how you think of it um, God's calling you to pray more let's just share them. be honest in our prayer helpless in our prayer with each other um, yeah so just pray at your table open your mouth and pray right Let's invite God in so go ahead and then I'll close this in a minute Gracias.